I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, uh, um, blonde in the sun. Corn Pop was a bad dude, and he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I learned about kids jumping on my lap, and I've loved kids jumping on my lap. I pay them one point nine trillion dollars so far. We can do anything. Grows the economy. What a stupid son of a bitch. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. We are live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals. Uh, subscribe if you have not. It's July 12th in the year 2023. I do have to get a couple clerical things out early. First off, I should warn you, everyone in my house, in my home, my homestead, except for me, is puking their brains out right now. Uh, started with Justin last night. Luke is puking. David is puking. There's a lot of puke. My assistant, Daphne, who's normally here, she's puking. Uh, you three are not puking, right? We went through this already. Nobody feels that puke could happen at any time. Uh, and I was told right before we started the show that if something happens to me, if I suddenly, in the middle of the show, if I start feeling it, that Connor has some sort of graphic that he can throw to in case there is an emergency. But anyway, I got to plow through the show today and then I just got to help out. It was, it was, an, I was up all night. It was, it was a lot. Everybody's going to be okay. We're getting fluids in everybody and all that stuff. So it's, it's going to be okay, but a little crazy around here. And speaking of crazy real quick, little Twitter drama happened this morning. Uh, you know, for the last couple of days, I've been going pretty hard after uh, the view harpy Anna Navarro and on yesterday's show, I officially announced that she's the worst of all of the hosts. And I think I laid out a fairly strong case. I know many people, I, I saw the comments and I checked on locals. A lot of people still think that Sonny Hostin is the worst because she's just profoundly unlikable. She's condescending. There's just nothing, there's not even a nugget of pleasantness within her where maybe you could argue there is something with Anna. Anna. My argument was more so that because Anna lives here in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Oh man, it could have happened right there uh, because Anna <laughs> lives here in Florida and she's so rabidly against it and lying that she just, to me, she takes the cake on this. But I, I get it's somewhat subjective. Everyone can have their own opinion on that. Anyway, then yesterday uh, I was driving and I saw this bumper sticker. Check this out. I saw this car, a Kia with a couple bumper stickers here. Trump, 20 to 24 years in prison, Biden-Harris, don't DeSantis my democracy, whatever that means, another Biden-Harris, OMG, GOP, WTF. So I took a picture of that uh, and I uh, tweeted it at Anna Navarro. And I said, I think at Anna Navarro is driving in front of me with a couple silly faces. Well, Anna Navarro responded this morning. And in only a way that a rich elitist leftist could I drive a Maserati, boo. A Maserati, which costs around $200,000. Now, I don't begrudge anyone spending their own money on whatever they want to, but, you know, she pretends she's this leftist hero. Well, she was a fake conservative for a long time now. I think she's gone full-blown, like, crazy progressive lunatic. Uh, but I did respond. Do we have my response? I think we do. I think I nailed this one. Hey, nobody said being a leftist hack doesn't pay well. So that's how my morning's going, puking all over me, 
both on Twitter and in real life. Uh, but we do have a big show for you, and we're doing a, a community Q and A. We moved it. We usually do them on Thursdays. We are doing it uh, today because of how crazy the morning was. I needed to do something just sort of a little bit condensed instead of a full narrative show. But I do want to show you just a couple clips of a really interesting interview. Uh, You know, Tucker Carlson seems to be sort of getting out there again, right? He's releasing his show once every week or two weeks on Twitter right now. We'll see what comes of that. Uh, He's been doing a few more interviews. He obviously was interviewed by uh, Russell Brand in uh, the UK last week. And just in the last couple of days, uh, he made it to Romania. And you know that the most famous Romanian prisoner under house arrest uh, is Andrew Tate. And they sat down for an interview. And there's a couple of clips that I think are just like deeply connected to things that we've been talking about here. Uh, first, Tucker asked Andrew Tate, and of course you guys know kickboxer Andrew Tate, and he's sort of become a hero of the men's rights movement. He's very controversial for a series of reasons. Um, it, whatever, controversial, what does it mean? Some people like it, some people don't. That's how they feel about me. It's probably how some people feel about you. Anyway, Tucker asked Andrew uh, what it is about his message, what it is about the things that he's saying that's driving so many people crazy. So what is it about your message, do you think, that infuriates certain people? Well, my message, traditional, my message is traditional masculinity. My message is to stand up and say what you mean and mean what you say. And even going to the gym nowadays is an act of defiance. Because when you have a man who's built with any degree of principle, you say no to things. And I think if I have to analyze my message and why I'm so disliked by the people who dislike me, it's not the things I'm saying. It's the fact that if you adhere to my principles and you adhere to the things I say, you end up being the kind of person who will resist certain ideas. You say no. What kind of man never says no? Name a man who never says no. Men say no, right? Men, men wake up and say, no, I don't think that should be done this way. No, my children will not be taught that. It's no. The father's primary job. Absolutely. So when you say to men, listen, you're allowed to have an opinion. You're allowed to have standards. You're allowed to have boundaries and barriers. You're allowed to get up and become important and work hard and try hard and become the kind of man who can't be controlled. Then you're seen as an enemy. And I, especially with the massive influence I've gained, I think they look at me and go, ah, he's, he's helping men resist the slave programming. We don't need him around. We need to empty their brains so we can inject the slave programming and convince men to be eunuchs. Because once you're eunuched, then you're not a threat. I think I buy that. Because your message, I, I'm not the world's expert on your message, but I've seen a lot of it, and it's not explicitly political, actually. No, it's not political at all. Yeah, Tucker kind of sums up my feelings on that. Like, I've watched a bunch of clips of Andrew Tate, and we've shown a bunch here. I'm not an expert in everything he's done or everything he's been accused of or any of those things. But if we just take what he said there for face value, that that's the thing that's driving his popularity, which is absolutely insane right now. And again, the guy is under house arrest, trapped in Romania while he's doing this interview and he's still not holding back. If you listen to some of the things, well, masculinity, that men should be men. Uh, Yeah, of course men should be men. It's part of the problem that we have right now that men don't know if they're men or if they're women. Women don't know if they're women or they're men. All of this odd gender confusion that you should say what you mean. I mean, I don't know that there's anything that I could agree with more on that. Like you must say what you mean. That's the, that's the most important thing you can do as a human in some way, because the second you don't do that, you are actually just giving energy. You're giving air oxygen to the machine that is coming for you in every which way. Right. So, and all of us do it to some degree. I I don't do it that much anymore, but I, I basically say whatever I think, right? Like, I actually can't think of anything off the top of my head that I'm thinking about that I don't say on this show. Uh, but we've all done it to, in different ways in our life. We maybe do it in our marriage or we do it with friends or, or we do it 
uh, over at you know work over politics or whatever, but say what you mean, like that's important. Go to the gym. We showed you the, <laughs> the headline yesterday. What was that? Was that in Salon? No, it was Axios. Who, who the hell had that freaking stupid headline about working out yesterday? Oh, MSNBC, I mean, they're all the same basically at this point uh, about, you know, how fitness is now a tool of the far right. And, and we talked about it. It's like, because if you take care of yourself, if you stand up straight with your shoulders back, Jordan Peterson, if you are not eating bugs and gruel and growing fat and only playing video games and watching porn, if you're doing other things with your life that give you value and purpose, you're less dependent on the system. And that's not what the system is interested in. Uh, say no, right? Say no, enough is enough. I can directly link that one to what's been going on here in Florida, right? What, what lit DeSantis on fire? It was enough is enough. We are not going to let you talk to our kids about gender identity. We're not gonna allow this neo-racism in the school. Say no, and then enough people will start backing you one way or another, whether you're a politician or a private person or anything else. Resist certain ideas. I mean, that one's deeply connected to that, right? You don't have to say yes to everything. You are allowed to have some standards, as Tate said. You're allowed to have some set of beliefs he said standards, you can have opinions, uh, and, and that will make it so that you cannot be controlled. And doesn't that seem what it all boils down to these days? They want us to be controlled. Eat this. Go out and we tell you, put this on your face. Get injected with this. We're going to take this amount of money from you because you're this type of person. We're going to let you into this school because you're that type of person. Resist the thing, guys. We can do it and more and more people are waking up. I want to show you one other clip of uh, Tate and Tucker because they started talking about the war, the war, non-war in Russia, Ukraine. Take a look. Why do you think um, support for the war in Ukraine, support for Ukraine's side in the war against Russia, support for a war against Russia in the West is kind of the, the bottom line issue for the people who run the U.S. government and for the American media? Why? I mean, you, I guess you could argue about it, yep. but there isn't an argument about it in the United States. There's a position and anyone who doesn't hold it is attacked and punished. Why? Why is that so important? Well, the first thing I think we should all do is I think we should all give Putin credit for curing COVID, right? <laughs> because when his invasion happened, COVID went away. So I thought about that. Think about it. It's almost to the day. So we have to give him some credit at least for doing that. He may be the bad guy of the world, but at least he cured COVID for everybody, nearly instantly. Fair. Thank you, for, thank you, President Putin. Um, yeah, I, up until this point, never really commented too heavily on polit politics. Yes. But I understand very well, I like to believe what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. And what I will say to the people who are watching this at home is that if you are naive enough to believe that there are good guys and bad guys, in wars, and it's as simple as good and bad, and that the bad guys are crazy, and the good guys want freedom, then you need to do a little bit more investigation into what's really happening. And when you look at the vested interest of any country or any person- Can I, can I just ask you to pause and just comment? That's the truest thing, what you just said. That is the, and anyone who doesn't understand that should shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I mean it. All right, you don't hear Tucker drop the F-bomb too often. I, ha I have to say, I don't totally agree with the premise, but I agree with sort of the, the blue sky version of what he said. The blue sky version of what he said is, that, is what he's trying to say, is that war is very complex. It's not always just like, oh, those are the obvious bad guys and we're always the obvious good guys, right? Like, it's just not like that. Like, if you were to look at, say, the Iraq war, 
like Saddam certainly was a bad guy and he did awful things to his people and he did awful things to the Kurds and everyone else. Um, he was definitely a bad guy, but us going to war at a country, to a country that did nothing against us, like we were trying to, maybe we were, you know, some of the argument was we were trying to free the people. We were trying to bring democracy. Okay. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. We also killed about 400,000 people. In that case, there's a lot of bad guys to go around. But, but in like the most like specific level, I don't think that there's no situation where there are good guys and bad guys when it comes to war or when it comes to conflict. And I, and I think, uh, perhaps had they discussed it a little bit further, I think that they would agree with that. I mean, Tucker knows uh, that if in his community, let's say, uh, he lives in a nice community, wherever that might be, and a bunch of people there, and they're all pleasant, and they're nice and safe with each other. Uh, if a bunch of marauders came, a bunch of vigilantes came and started attacking people and raping the women and pillaging and all of those things, uh, you could declare war on them, and that would be very just. A, a war is just when it's to defend your property and your family and things of that nature. So I think a little bit of the subjectiveness of good guys and bad guys is probably... They probably just kind of glossed over it a little bit. But I think the broader point he meant related to Russia and Ukraine is it's not just as simple as Putin is just purely the bad guy and Zelensky and now the United States, which is running the proxy war, are we're just the good guys. We're just the good guys right now. Like there's an awful lot of people and weapons manufacturers and everybody else getting really rich on this, right? So it's not just as simple as that, I think was the overriding point. But, uh, but a bunch of things happened yesterday related to the war, not war in Ukraine. I got some info from the Daily Wire. Uh, world leaders are meeting in Lithuania for NATO's annual summit to discuss a range of issues, including whether or not Ukraine should be allowed into the group. Monday evening, the NATO secretary general said, I am absolutely certain that we will have unity and a strong message on Ukraine. However, Tuesday morning, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky slammed NATO for not moving faster to welcome his country into the alliance and for setting no clear timeline as to when it will be allowed in. Zelensky has been banging the World War III drum for months now. Ukraine entered, entering NATO would undoubtedly result in direct conflict between the West and Russia. At the same time, the Biden administration has made it clear that it has no interest in peace. The longer this war goes on, the more people will die. Meanwhile, the United States is running low on ammunition, according to our own commander-in-chief. Instead of crafting an off-ramp, NATO, the U.S. and Ukraine are looking to prolong the war. So before I get to a quick video from Zelensky himself, the basics of what you need to understand there is that NATO and NATO countries have this agreement. If one NATO country is attacked, then everyone in, in unison must attack back, right? That's how it is. If Russia was to attack, say, Germany, which is a NATO country, then everybody in NATO has to get in on that. So by adding Ukraine to NATO, and by the way, many years ago, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, uh, Ukraine gave up their nuclear armament. They gave up their nukes so that they wouldn't have to, uh, in exchange, they got sort of protections from Russia. It was a mistake, right? But okay, that's a be, that, be that as it may, the problem with having Ukraine, regardless of where you fall in the war right now, the problem with having Ukraine just get into NATO right now is that means it would basically instigate World War III on day one. Everyone would have to get in on this war. What's also interesting about it is Biden just keeps saying, we're going to endlessly uh, give you weapons. You have no need to come to the table. And that's what Zelensky keeps saying. We're, so we're being told on one hand, all of these Ukrainians are dying. It's horrible. There's been mass destruction. And some degree of that is true. 
But generally, wouldn't you then be like, okay, let's talk about a settlement. Let's see, are there some concessions we can make to Putin, even if he's a really bad dude and this was totally unjust and you can't go off your borders to attack another country and all that. But none of that seems to be happening. Uh, Here's Zelensky himself yesterday at the NATO summit calling for more weapons, the NATO membership, and a bunch more. I think for today, three priority questions. The first one is uh, weapon packages, new weapon packages for supporting our army on the battlefield. And that is one. The second, I think the invitation to NATO. And uh, um, we want to be on the same page with everybody, with all, all the understanding. And for today, what we, what we, what we hear and understand that we'll have this invitation when security measures will allow. All right, apologies for the audio on that. It was extremely low, the actual audio on the mic, so we had to bump it up, so that's why there was some crackling there. Uh, So he wants more weapons, and he wants in on NATO, so he wants to extend the war. And let's, even giving him the complete benefit of the doubt, let's just say this guy just wants to defend his country. There's nothing nefarious going on. There's no money laundering there. It has nothing to do with Biden and the laptop and all of the stuff. Let, let's just pretend all this is all on the all on the up and up, right? It's like, does that mean we still have to give this guy endless weapons and also enter an international agreement that will immediately drag us into World War III? And why is it that, as Tucker pointed out, there's really just no voices in America, in corporate America, in mainstream America, that are giving a little pause to this thing? Yeah. I can talk about it a little bit that way. Tucker could, and now he's no longer on mainstream media. Uh, guys like Glenn Greenwald, David Sachs, there are some people talking about it, but we certainly should at least be able to talk about it. But every time anyone says that, and I have no doubt the Media Matters people or whoever that watch this show, they're waiting for me to say something so they can see. See, you see, Ruben is a Russian stooge. He loves that Putin. He loves Putin just because I'm asking questions and I don't want to be driven to World War III. By the way, to go to war, we need congressional authorization. I know we don't do that anymore, right? So when, when Obama went to war in Libya, when we got rid of Gaddafi and now Libya is a complete failed state, we didn't actually go to war. He didn't uh, get congressional authorization. He called it a kinetic military action. Sounds like Xbox Connect, but it was a kinetic military action. So they always find ways we can drop bombs all over the place. But I think at some point, if you're endlessly funding a war, if you're giving guys billions of dollars to kill other people, at some point you're at war. Anyway, our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, went on television yesterday and uh, he welcomed Sweden and Finland into NATO. So that is one thing that happened in the last couple of days. Uh, And he tells Putin, you ain't going to win this thing, man. Let's start. We know Sweden is now following Finland into NATO. What message do you think that this will send to Russia? What message do you want it to send, if any? Well, it sends two messages. First of all, Our alliance is stronger, it's bigger with two new members, Finland and now Sweden, uh, and it's more united than ever. Uh, And in terms of Russia's aggression against Ukraine, it's sending a very strong message to Putin that um, he's not going to outlast us. He's not going to outlast you. I mean, it's just meaningless drivel like that. Okay, I have no inherent problem with Sweden and Finland getting in NATO. But do you think Sweden and Finland, you think Putin woke up this morning like, uh uh-oh, Oh, Sweden and Finland are in the NATO. What am I going to do? Get me some vodka so I can think about this. Like he's been at war in essence with the United States and Ukraine. You think it's going to the thing that's going to turn the war around or a bunch of Finnish soldiers on the border of Russia? Like it's just this is what we do with everything. It like all sounds good blinking. It sounds good. We'll have a bigger, broader coalition. 
except nobody does anything. Everyone does jack shit except for the United States. That's how it works. So if we don't do anything, nothing happens. And if we do do something, something happens, good or bad. That's how it is. Uh, Anyway, there is one world leader uh, who is at NATO right now who is basically calling for peace. He's saying enough of funding this war. Can everybody calm down? Let's respect borders, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's the guy that everyone in the West seems to call a fascist these days, although he was voted democratically and is extremely popular within his own country. I'm talking about Viktor Orban of Hungary. uh, And here he is calling for peace. As it will news. Kétnapos NATO csúcs találkozó. A legfontosabb kérdés, mi más lehetne, mint az orosz-ukrán háború. A magyar álláspont változatlan, ezt fogjuk képviselni. Ukrajnában nem fegyvereket, hanem békét kellene vinni. Tűzszünetre volna szükség, és háború helyett minél hamarabb meg kellene kezdeni a béket. Okay, so there's obviously way more to that, but the point is he's one of the few voices in the world on the international stage who's just saying, how about we just don't endlessly fund this? Why is it that all these Western nations want to endlessly fund Ukraine fighting Russia, whether they think they're fighting back, whether they think it's partially justified, fully justified or whatever. And as I often say, at the end of the day, we can arm this guy with all of the munitions we want. We can give him all of the F-15s. We can give him the cluster bombs and the whole freaking thing, the mother of all bombs, all of the stuff. And at the end of the day, he still has nukes. So the idea that we're going to defeat this guy militarily, that one day we're all going to wake up and they're going to be like, it happened. We defeated Russia militarily. We've taken over. And by the way, then what happens post-Putin? Probably gets worse. But it's just a crazy notion. So there's one guy who's doing it. I happened to meet that one guy. This is at the prime minister's uh, palace in Hungary. That's right on the Danube River over there. And we chatted for about 10 minutes. You, you guys know this is during our trip about uh, two months ago. And it was really interesting. I, this was you know just the two of us chatting for about uh, 10 minutes or so. And all he said to me repeatedly, repeatedly, was, I love my country. I wanna protect my country. I don't think we have to have these adventurous wars all over the place. I want to protect my borders and the people of my country. He just repeated that over and over. He had a big smile on his face. That's it. That's it. And I think that we should be thinking a little bit more like that within our own borders. Uh, I know that puts me outside of the mainstream. It actually puts me closer to, say, Tucker and RFK, who, by the way, RFK Jr., uh, I did interview on Sunday. Part one is up right now. Full thing is up on Locals, and some other clips will be coming out uh, throughout the week. And I will now get to the Ruben Poor Community Q&A, where the first question happens to be about RFK Jr. Uh, Prusky says, is what RFK Jr. Uh, is saying, if what RFK Jr. is saying is true, when you had the interview with him about Russia wanting to do a peace deal, why is the United States preventing it? Wouldn't that be treason in a sense? Well, there's something very interesting there. So if you didn't see at least part one of the interview, he talks about that, that Russia has repeatedly gone for a peace deal. By the way, former uh, Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett from like a year and a half ago before Netanyahu took over, he went uh, he went to Ukraine. At, well, I think he went to Ukraine and to Russia. He, oh no, he must have went to Russia and meet with Putin. And they basically had a peace deal worked out and the United States and Ukraine said no to it. That was a year and a half ago. So RFK's uh, argument is that Russia actually does want a deal, but the West is just pushing and pushing and pushing. And if you eventually push the guy with nukes again into a corner, what is that guy going to do? Uh, so is it treason? I mean, I would leave that for like the, the constitutional lawyers to figure out. But I think it, at the very least, it makes you hearken back to that clip of Andrew Tate and Tucker Carlson, like, 
The good guy, bad guy thing here is not that clear. It's not that clear. I am not saying Putin is a good guy. He invaded a sovereign nation. You cannot do that if you want to be in, in the, the community of nations, right? You can't just go into someone else's territory and start taking over. Now we can talk about ethnic Russians and all of those things and how the Soviet Union was broken up and okay, all of that fine. Uh, but I'm not saying Putin is a great guy, but I don't think Zelensky is a great guy either. And he's getting awfully rich and awfully famous. And there's an awful lot of money being poured through that country right now. And I think it's at least worth thinking about. Uh, Joe says, was there anything in the RFK interview that surprised you from either a personal or political point of view? Well, I don't know that this surprised me exactly, but, but we opened with the first question. I said, hey, right off the top, um, I was a Democrat. I can no longer call myself a Democrat anymore. What makes you still a Democrat? And actually, I thought it was his only sort of somewhat muddled answer throughout. You know, he hearkens back to the history of his family, and I think that's respectable. This was similar to our affirmative action question, which by the end, he, he sort of agreed that it was not a great comment when he said that it was a bad decision by the Supreme Court. He, he really was like, he fully understood the other argument. But I think, I think he's so connected. I don't mean this as a judgment call, really. I think he's so connected to the Kennedy legacy and who his uncle and his father were and his other uncle, what that name means and what that was in that party that I think he's having a little trouble disconnecting from that. But I think by the time this thing is done, by the time the DNC is done with him, by the time more and more Republicans who happen to disagree with him, and I, I disagree with him on affirmative action, I disagree with him on policies around climate change. We didn't, unfortunately, we didn't have time to really get into that. Um, I, I'm sure I disagree with him on some abortion stuff. Like there, there's plenty of stuff there and we get into a bunch of it. But he will always find the door, it will be exactly where I was seven years ago. The door will always be open for people on the right to talk to you about those things. And there's broad agreement when it comes to COVID, uh, when it comes to Ukraine, et cetera. So I think he's just sort of, he's in the mix of that thing. But what I was very impressed by, uh, he was happy to have the conversation. He said he'd be more than happy to have it again. I asked him a little bit about what he thought. You know, I said, well, people know what you think about Trump. They know what you think about Biden. What do you think about DeSantis? He had a lot of good things to say about DeSantis, said he'd be happy to talk to him. So like that, we do need more of that. And I think that that's the, the main piece. That was my takeaway. Cool Mom says, if mind reading happens during our lifetime, I'm going balls to the walls and filling my head with as much truth as possible. I'm also going to say countless prayers, your thoughts. Why not? Why not? Well, first off, if mind reading is possible, you know, to some extent, mind reading is possible already. Not the way we traditionally think of mind reading, like someone could just like walk up to you and like go like this and like know what's in your mind. But mind reading, the way the algorithms work, the way that, you know, our click habits are no more about us in a way than we do. Like we could say, oh, I like these things, but then you can, the algorithms and big tech can look at your click behaviors and go, actually, those aren't the things you like. You do like all of that violence. You do like all of the mayhem. You do like this, that, and the other thing. So in some ways there's a, there's a technological mind reading that is happening already. But if they, uh, if they get to mind read us, yeah, I would fill your head up with as much truth as possible. If prayer helps you get there, then God bless you. Uh, Nick says, uh, you did a great job of a fair interview with RFK Jr. despite your declared vote for DeSantis. If he doesn't win the Democratic primary, would you support him being the VP pick for a Republican presidential ticket? Um, this has come up repeatedly. Uh, I've discussed it a little bit with my guys 
on the inside, look, there's a lot of good there. So without fully repeating what I just said, there's good on the COVID stuff, there's good on the Ukraine stuff. The, the affirmative action thing, like to me, that's such a big one that that could be a big, that could be a big deal breaker. Um, but again, he did not hold his position, position strong. And if anything, he kind of agreed with me at the end, but, but you'll see more on that one. Uh, and that's, by the way, to his credit. Again, I'm not going after him for that, saying that he was mealy-mouthed with it. It's to his credit that he said, this is what I believe. Uh, he links it back to growing up in Jim Crow South and a bunch of things that aren't necessarily about what's going on today. But okay, uh, there's that. I think the abortion thing's probably a bit much because I am I should have asked. We didn't get into it, unfortunately, but I should have asked if he was okay with Roe v. Wade be being flipped, which I'm guessing he wasn't. Um, I think there's a, a spot for him. Ah, let's do it this way. I think the best position for him wouldn't necessarily be VP. I think the next, the best position for him is you get DeSantis as president. Now we have, the, what is the mission? The mission is to reform the agencies, is to get wokeness out of the government, to go after pharmaceutical companies. He's a lawyer who's been going after pharmaceutical companies for like 40 years. You put him at, as the head of that. I don't know what that department is necessarily, attorney general, perhaps something like that. I don't necessarily think vice president where he's the heartbeat away from the presidency is the right idea um, if, if you hold more conservative beliefs. But I think there is absolutely some role for him there. Uh, Gamma says, Dave, after her emotional monologue on father and son, Joe and Hunter's unconditional love, <laughs> will Anna Navarro emote on Robinette's inappropriate yet unconditional father and daughter love for his daughter, Ashley? Wait a minute, I'm confused about this. Does anyone know what this is about? This one's going completely over my head. You see, we don't always check these beforehand. I, I try to do them on the fly. Emotional father and son, Joe, unconditional love. Will Anna Navarro emote on Robinette's inappropriate? Who's Robinette? Can you Google Robinette? We're gonna come back to this one. Robinette's emotional father and daughter love for their daughter, Ashley. Wow, you stumped everybody. Gamma, I'm going to send you a little sign something because you stumped. Joe, Joe Biden. Robinette is Joe Biden. Robinette is Joe Biden. Oh, the Ashley's diary. She refers to Joe as Robinette? Yes. All right, we're going to do a little digging on this one. But Gamma, because you stumped us all on the fly. And as I said, I try not to, every now and again, I take a quick glance at the questions, but I try not to read them in advance because I want to do this as much off the top of my head and be as honest as possible. Uh, you got us and I'm going to send you something. Apparently Brock's got some info. Joe Biden's name. What's that? Is that Joe Biden's middle name? It's Joe Biden. Robinette's Joe Biden. So. Robinette is Jill Biden. Okay, let me try this one more time. Bear with us. What? Robinette is Joe Biden. Robinette. It's his middle name. Is Joe Biden's middle name is Robinette? Chris just said it to me. All right, I'm being told on the fly, people, that Joe Biden's middle name is Robinette. So now I'm going to read this again. Dave, after her emotional monologue on father and son, Joe and Hunter's unconditional love, will Anna Navarro emote on Robinette's inappropriate yet unconditional father and daughter love for his daughter, Ashley? But isn't Ashley Joe Biden's granddaughter? Yes, for Hunter Biden's daughter, Ashley. Oh, for Hunter Biden's daughter, Ashley. We're gonna chew on this one for a bit. <laughs> and, but you, I see there's something, there's something there. You've made us all think, I thank you. We're gonna send you a little signed book plate or something for getting me on the fly. Casey says, uh, why is AI so important? Humankind has made so many advances without it. Do you think we need it to keep making discoveries? 
Look, this is the great challenge of our time, really, AI. The idea that we are, we are so on the verge and perhaps have already crossed the uncanny valley when we will not know what is real. We will not know what is manipulated. I talked about the algorithms before and how we, through data mining and everything else, they know more about you than you know about yourself, right? And the constant surveillance, and I said it the other day, you know, you're, you're in your living room talking about how, oh boy, you know, we, the carpet's pretty dirty. We could use a, a, a new rug or something. And then suddenly you open up Instagram and there's ads for carpets and rugs. Like there's so many weird things there, but AI, the idea that all of this information can be sorted so incredibly quickly and you can just go into a chat and be given the truth even though we know that ChatGPT, for example, has been highly biased. And of course, which way does the bias go? Always to the left. The big thing when ChatGPT sort of first debuted, what, two months ago, was that ChatGPT, if you asked it to write a nice poem about Joe Biden, could write you this long soliloquy about how lovely Joe Biden is. But if you asked it to write a pleasant poem about Donald Trump, it said it was unable to. So human biases have already leaked into the AI. Then beyond just text AI, there's all of the deep fake stuff that within, within years, I mean, you can basically do it already. I've seen some crazy videos on this uh, of Tom Cruise. I've seen Joe Biden ones, a whole bunch of others. They'll be able to fake it. You will watch videos and not know that it is not the person you think it is. And just what, what would it be like when a video goes viral of Joe Biden announcing that we're dropping a nuke on Russia or whatever it might be, or God knows what they could do with that related to porn, related to, to virtually everything. And also our need for humans to do things will, will uh, constantly be decreasing because we will be replaced by fake humans. There might be some positives to that. Maybe it will give us more free time to go do things that will give us purpose. But most likely it'll just give us more free time uh, to play video games and, and waste time and all of those other things. So humans made it many, many thousands of years and Western civilization made it a couple thousand years uh, without AI. Um, are there reasons that maybe we would need AI to do interplanetary travel, right? To have a, a sentient being. I mean, if you watch, watch any of the great sci-fi movies of all time, uh, watch 2001, like the idea that a computer would be able to manage most of the functions of a ship that was going into deep space so that we could keep humans in cryostasis because they wouldn't survive the long trip. Watch Interstellar. Like, is there a reason for some of this stuff? Of course, of course. I actually had a chapter in Don't Burn This Country about all of this, about all of the big technological questions that we're gonna have to face. And then we realized at the end that it was like, it didn't quite fit. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll do something with that. Maybe we'll do something with that. Uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, Margo says, hey Dave, here's a different type of question. What are your thoughts on the seven wonders of the world? Uh, and any idea why the Great Pyramid is not considered one of the seven? So the seven, we, we listed them out for you. Uh, the seven are the Colosseum, which is in Rome, Italy, the Great Wall of China, the Taj Mahal in India, Christ the Redeemer, of course, in Brazil, Machu Picchu in Peru, uh, Chichen Itza in Mexico, and Petra uh, Jordan. Leave that up for just a second. So out of all of those, uh, the only one actually that I've been to is the Colosseum in Rome. I was in Italy in, I've only been to Italy once, which is a damn shame. I, we've really got to get back. In 1997, I was in Italy and did that. And actually that same year on a, on a trip just a few months earlier, uh, I was in Egypt and did go to the pyramids, which as you point out, are not noted as one of the seven wonders of the world, which is quite bizarre. Um, I, I would love to see the Great Wall. I'd love to see the, yeah, the Taj Mahal, Christ the Redeemer. All of these things are, are really amazing. What, what was the question though? Was the question, have I been to all of them? Oh, why is the pyramids not considered one of the seven? 
I, I don't know. I, I actually, yeah, there are pictures of all of them right there. Do you? Do it's, we have it? It's one of the ancient wonders of the world. It's not anymore. Oh, interesting. It's considered one of the ancient wonders of the world, and I guess these are all newer, right? So Taj Mahal would be at least somewhat newer. Um, yeah, I guess that does make right. Well, the Colosseum in Rome, but that's Colosseum in Rome is what a thousand years old. Six out of the seven are like gone. They're like either destroyed or not. Ah, interesting. Very interesting, people. So you learn a little bit. I can even learn on the fly on this program. I would like to get to all of those. Maybe we'll do a trip to the seven wonders of the world. And we'll end it in the, uh, what, am I, what do you call it? The triangle. The triangle, uh, Bermuda Triangle. And then we'll just dip out. Like, that'll be that. Uh, Sarah says, hey, Dave, I was wondering, what do you look at when you are filming? Do you look directly into the camera or do you have a mark of some sort? I feel like if I were to do what you do, I would have a hard time not looking at the other people in the room. How do you do it? You know what? Can we do something right now, Brock? Can you come around here and I want you to, can you take a picture from behind me? And we're going to show that when we're going to post it in local so people can actually see. But what I'm looking at right now, when I'm pointing right now directly to the camera, so I am looking at the camera, but we have a teleprompter. That's Brock. Nice sweatshirt, Brock. Where'd you get that? From the closet. The, the closet. No, Dave store. <laughs> oh, the closet. The closet. Real genius. You're a marketing. That's my marketing guy. Marketing wizard over there. Uh, so he's going to post that at rubenreport.locals.com uh, right now so you guys can sort of see what I'm looking at. But in essence, the screen that we have, because they, they do something with the mirror, it's actually pretty cool. So uh, Phoenix has the teleprompter, so that's how I'm able to read the questions but keep looking at you the entire time because it basically, I can look at the camera and it just sort of goes through it. The camera's going through the screen and I can look this way. So it's sort of like a, like, I guess it's a double-sided mirror, so to speak, something like that. Um, well, not a double-sided mirror because I'm not seeing myself. I do see myself when I, sometimes I look down like that. That's where I see the clips that Connor's throwing me, but I've got Connor to my right and he's doing all the, uh, the live videos that we're throwing to, the sound effects, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Phoenix is running the prompter, giving me extra information if I need it. Brock sits next to him and he's just Googling and doing social media while we're doing it, fact-checking me on some things. Uh, sometimes Daphne's also in here. She's not in here today because she's puking her brains out just like my boys and David are, is what it is. Um, and I could note that uh, we just met with the, uh, the contractor this week and the, uh, the new Ruben Report studio is in the works. It took us a little bit longer than anticipated, but it's all in the works, people. Uh, stay tuned on that. Uh, Chad says, what are you most excited about for this upcoming Off the Grid August? Um, well, you know, we didn't do an Off the Grid August last year, basically because uh, Justin was born on the 6th. He was supposed to, he was due on the 22nd, ended up being born on the 6th. And then obviously family, phone calls, doctors, hospital, blah, blah, blah. It was just like not going to happen. I tried to basically stay off the news, which I was able to do for when I came back. But in terms of like not really being on this thing and everything else, that, that didn't work out that way. Um, we are taking a little trip without the boys, which we have not done um, since they've been born. So we are going to get away for a little bit. So that will be nice. I know it's going to be kind of tough. You know, we're, we're a pretty tight-knit group here and like spending some time away is going to be a little bit, I think it'll be probably more difficult for David than me because he's, you know, he's down there every day with them all the time, like really just doing a, a, a truly incredible job, like truly, truly, um, where I'm often busy in here. So my separation is a bit more. Um, so I would say getting away a little bit and, uh, yeah, no, that's it. That, it's just get, it's just get, well, you know what? Something else this year too, maybe a little bit more than in other years. Um, you know, I haven't done that much racehorse politics in the last like two weeks on the show, right? Like we haven't done that much about DeSantis said this, Trump said this, but, 
And I think getting away from a little bit of that before the debate. So as you know, I'm coming back a little bit early this year. I'm gonna come back on August 23rd in Milwaukee. Rumble is the exclusive live streamer no YouTube Rumble only of the uh, of the Republican debate. So it'll be on Fox on television and then Rumble online. We're figuring out what, what I'm going to do that day. But I think I'll be anchoring Rumble's coverage and hopefully we get a whole bunch of big people and some of the uh, presidential candidates and everything else. Um, but it'll be pretty cool to have missed three weeks, you know, three plus weeks, basically, and then go right into that and like feel that freshness and all of it just come burst forth right back into my face and we shall see how it goes. Uh, Jonathan says, what's your daily or weekly exercise and diet routine? Uh, well, I'm on a nice kick right now in the gym. Uh, so, you know, we start our morning. I, I've told you this guys, uh, I've told you guys this before. Uh, I take over for the, uh, for the kids around 7.30 a.m. At that point, I'm usually doing a little back and forth with Phoenix on how we're laying out the show, but we're doing that over text. I take the boys, we sit, we roll around, we play, we like, uh, I like wooden toys, as I've told you guys, I don't like electronic and plastic toys, I don't like all the beeps and everything, so we've got a lot of wood stuff, that's my kind of thing, we like cups and, uh, you know, little things, you can, like that, just simple, I like simple stuff, which they're really into, um, do that in the morning, David gets up a little bit later, we try to take a walk every morning with Clyde, it's important to get Clyde out, because he's got a crazy amount of energy, and if we don't get that energy out, it can be tough throughout the day, uh, we do that, and then usually I have about an hour that hopefully I can get into the gym. Uh, we have a, a separate structure at the house that we turned into a gym, and I get in there, I try to do like half hour of cardio and then lift a little bit. I'm really trying to eat right now too. I'm just trying to like get in order for, uh, for August, going away, being on the beach. And you know, like I'm basically in good shape, but everybody could always lose five pounds, tighten up a little bit. Um, so I'm pretty much staying off sugars and, and carbs. I'm just doing eggs in the morning usually eggs or I do Greek yogurt with a little bit of, a little bit of fruit. I got like a, a strawberry, raspberry, blueberry mix, sometimes a little honey on there. Uh, for lunch, David, we buy lunch for my team, but I was like, I can't just keep doing like the takeout thing all the time. And these guys, these guys, they freaking love the Chick-fil-A every day with you guys with the Chick-fil-A. It's like, there's a limit to the sauce. <laughs> I get it. There's a lot of sauces. So we basically, David does usually like chicken thighs, uh, maybe some rice, some spinach mixed in, very simple. I put a little sriracha on there, nice and simple. And then for dinner, I'm doing most of the cooking these days because he's uh, he's taking care of the kids. So we just do like a nice like grilled something. So either grilled chicken or grilled steak or fish. We've been, we've been on a nice fish kick lately, just like I'm here in Florida. So they got everything, you know, grouper, mahi-mahi, we can get tuna steaks, you get red snapper, yellow snapper, cod. Like I just try a different fish a night. Simple vegetable on the side, asparagus. We did Brussels sprouts last night, broccoli. Although nobody ate in this house last night because everybody was puking except for me. And, uh, and usually just like some uh, simple potatoes in the, in the air fryer. So I just, yeah, and then I don't really do dessert. Had a little, uh, had a quarter of a piece of dark chocolate last night. And then there you go, 47 years old. You, you can judge in your own way. Uh, Mike says, Dave loves the show and being with, uh, Dave loved the show and being with you from the jump. Can you get your crack staff to put together a video of all the cold opens and closes so we can share with our batshit crazy liberal friends, please? Thanks. And you rock the hizzle for rizzle dizzle, peace and bacon grease. One of you wrote that, didn't you? Who is this guy? You rock the diz bacon grease. Um, we should do something with the cold opens and closes. Phoenix nodded immediately. 
which means it will be taken care of. We will figure out something uh, maybe during August. You know, we're going to have a bunch of content coming out during August. One of, the, one of the things that we have to do, I find it very infuriating in a way, but talking about algorithms and information and all that stuff, if we go completely dark, which we did for a couple Augusts, meaning put up nothing on our channels, the algorithm completely kicks you out. And then you have to spend basically two months getting back in, meaning people don't see your videos anymore, you're not recommended anymore, your revenue, like I accept that in August we're gonna make very little money. Like I, I build it into my budget every year, it is what it is. What ends up happening, because we put up, at one time we put up no content in August, and now we put up less content in August, but we're trying to do a little bit more, is that our September revenue and starts being really crappy. So it ends up really shifting how the, how the whole company can operate. So we're gonna do a little bit more this year just to put up some stuff uh, for you guys, but not, not drub you over the head. It's gonna be some interviews. We, we did a bunch of fun stuff. When are we putting up that, uh, the Gatorade thing? When, when's that going on? Later this week. Did I mention this already on the show? The guys had me, they took a red Gatorade, they took a red Powerade and a red Prime drink. And this Prime is, I guess, what all the kids are drinking these days. I've never drank it before. They put them in mugs like this, did not tell me which was which, and I had to do a taste test. I'm not gonna tell you anything more, but uh, Brock said this is what the kids like on the computer machine, and that's what we're gonna put out there. Uh, so we'll do some silly stuff like that. Uh, Steven says, what were some memorable moments this past Ruben Report year for you? This past year, um, I mean, I, I think the most, if I was to, well, I was gonna say this past, man, the year went by so freaking fast. My book came out over a year ago. Holy cow. Um, this past year, my best memory specifically, it's been good and it's been such a blur. And with the kids, it's been, it's been a lot. Well, I have to say, you know, the, the trip to Israel and, and Hungary, um, was so refreshing and pleasant and nice. And it was, it was nice to travel. It was nice to take the team. It was nice to eat different foods, see different ways of life, uh, have a little downtime at the beach. But then also, I would, you know what? Actually, really more than anything else, it was Jerusalem more than anything else. Uh, as incredible as Tel Aviv was, as incredible as Budapest was, like Jerusalem just, and, and we are working on that documentary, by the way. We did, we did a couple more edits yesterday. We're, we're piecing it all together. But what was just so incredible about Jerusalem is that they are, as much as they are uh, building up, meaning that they're building buildings up always, and the, and the population of Jerusalem is growing, they're also digging down and they're uncovering history. So it's like the future and the past, and they're doing it at the exact same time. And when you really go and you see how they do these excavations, and they can show you that as, the, as you go down and you go down floors and they build stairs down these excava excavation sites, and you go down and you see, and they can tell you, well, there's a layer of ash here, and that's when the city was destroyed. And they go beneath that, and this is, this is from the Byzantine era, and this is from when the Romans conquered, and this is when the Greeks were here, and then you can connect that to biblical stories and all these things. It's just, it's just absolutely incredible. And also, the city was unbelievably beautiful and peaceful. You know, we, we did post some clips of different things, and the peaceful, the, the walking down the streets of Jerusalem, Muslim women in burqas walking by Orthodox Jews and not stabbing each other and not killing each other. It's not to say it doesn't ever happen, um, but, but the sense of peace there was, was really incredible. Uh, David says, will you be watching Mission Impossible, Barbie, or Oppenheimer this month? First off, I'm gonna freak you guys out. I feel like this one's gonna really blow your mind, particularly Connor. I have never seen any of the Mission Impossible movies. No. I have never seen any of the Mission... I have never seen any of the Mission Impossible movies and I have never seen any of the Fast and the Furious. 
I know that they're very fast. And <laughs> I have never seen any of those movies. I, I, you know, some, and I, you know what I've also never seen? You're not going to believe this one. I've never seen any of the Bourne movies. Bourne Identity, Supremacy. You get that fit, you're out of here. I've just sometimes, you know, you just miss things. You just miss things in life. And there's so many of these freaking things. It's like, I got a life to live. I can't start these things right now. You know what I mean? I got a lot cooking. Um, so probably not Mission Impossible. Oppenheimer and what was, and the Barbie. No, well, I'm not going to see Barbie, obviously. Like I'll see some clips and like, you know, if I want to see, if I want to see some like crazy trans lunatic in the middle of whatever, I could just turn on the view. And then uh, what was the other one? Opp oh, Oppenheimer. Yeah, which looks absolutely incredible. I don't know that we'll be able to get, it's hard for us to get out and go to the theater, movie theater and all that, but I, is it coming out? That's, you told me just in theaters, right? It's not coming out. July 21st in theaters, probably not in theaters. Maybe I could pull it off in Off the Grid August, but if not, uh, we'll definitely see that one uh, when it's out on Apple TV. Uh, all right. Well, we did 48 minutes. I thought we were going to be a little abbreviated today because I know I'm needed downstairs. I can only imagine what's going on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got texts. Okay, I got to get down there and clean up some puke, which I've never ended a show like that before. Uh, I hope you guys have a great day. Uh, we're going to do a quick post-game show at rubenreport.locals.com. Part one of my interview with RFK is up across platforms. The full thing is up ad-free, of course, on Locals. Uh, we leave you with a funny uh, little political compass moment, and we'll see everybody in the post-game in just a sec. Now the main problem area is up here. All of this going on up here is what's causing me the most physical discomfort. It's like a visceral reaction of discontent coming from this area. This area is not good either. I hate this, but I'm mainly worried about this. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.